listen to the Parliament Arts Podcast, episode 27, with a real Felix Faust. Please stand up. to the Parliament of Rex podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Lenise. And this is his wife, Melanie Lenise. Uh, so tonight, we are continuing, you know, with our, our Silver Age wrap-up. You know, for the past couple episodes, we've uh, gone ahead and taken a look, you know, at several components, you know, that were, you know, particularly important to our show and, you know, sort of bid them uh, farewell. You know, uh, two episodes ago, we took a look at, you know, the final showcase appearance of the Spectre, you know, which mm-hmm. was designed to, you know, sort of say goodbye to Murphy Anderson and, you know, his revival of all those, you know, Golden Age heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we followed that up, you know, with the final issue of uh, House of Secrets and, you know, in doing so, bid farewell, you know, to one of our favorite characters, you know, Mark Merlin slash Prince Rawman, and then, yeah. you know, creatively, you know, Bob Haney. We'll, we'll go back to Bob <laughs> Haney, you know, later on, but, you know, from a Silver Age perspective, you know, that's the last story we're taking a look at. Uh, last week, you know, we uh, said goodbye to uh, Stanley and his monster and, you know, did our little tribute to uh, to Arnold Drake. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other big thing, you know, I think that has been sort of a, a narrative thread, you know, running in and out of our show is, uh, you know, the appearance of the Justice League. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we started our show there, you know, with the... Uh, um, the very early sort of Magic Land story, you know, in, in Justice League of America number two. And then, you know, throughout our show, we, we revisited that, you know, as a uh, spotlight for the characters we were looking at. You know, when we first looked at Dr. Fate, we wrapped that up, you know, with an appearance in JLA. Um, you know, when we looked at Johnny Thunder, same deal, you know, the uh, JSA-JLA crossover. Um, you know, Zatanna, that culminated, you know, in JLA. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it appropriate, you know, as we're winding down, um, you know, we go back to not our very first episode, but uh, episode number two. Um, what was the the very first villain you know that we took a look at? Felix Faust. Felix Faust, right? The you know what was the fa- the fickle fingers? The fickle fingers, right? Of Felix Faust. Um, so tonight, you know, we're going to take another a look at you know another uh, Felix Faust story in JLA, and uh, and accordingly, you know, the corresponding creator uh, that we want to sort of pay tribute to then uh, would be the artist, you know, on those tales that we've taken a look at, uh, you know, Mike Sikowski. Oh, okay. Okay, so Mike Sikowski, you know, contrary to, you know, every single other creator we looked at, uh, was not, in fact, born in New York City. <laughs> was it North Jersey then? <laughs> no, not even North Jersey. He wasn't a, a Palisades Park, you know, local. <laughs> uh, no, he's actually, believe it or not, born in uh, Lancaster, PA. Just, really? Uh, yeah, just a little bit west of here. How do you uh, get in the club? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you. Here's his bio. Um, so Mike Sikowski was uh, born, like I say, in Lancaster, PA in November of 1923. And, uh, you know, typical of, you know, people we know from the Lancaster area. He was actually like a super big dude, you know, like mm-hmm. one of those like, you know, farm, farm guys. guys. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there's a quote um, from an artist he worked with uh, later in his career, a fellow by the name of uh, Scott Shaw, who... Uh, my audience probably be most familiar with as the uh, the creator of uh, Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew. Captain Carrot. <laughs> Captain Carrot, right? It's a it's basically like a uh, funny animal parody of like the Justice League. Like Captain Carrot's like Superman, and then there's like you know the the Green Lambkin, you know, <laughs> like whatever uh, the the Martian anteater. <laughs> so, so, but anyway, Scott uh, Shaw, like I say, you know, worked with Mike Sikowski late in his career, and, and here was his impression. You know, there's a, a quote. He said, "The man was probably six feet four. His skin bright pink." He was just this side of having the coloration of an albino. He had pink skin, and on top of that, when Mike was a kid, he'd had a horrible accident. 
His head was caught under his parents' car, and it scalped him halfway. Oh, my it actually, God. Yeah, I know. It actually ripped his scalp and pulled it back, and they Yay. put it in place. Uh, so he had a big jagged scar on his bald head that came down almost to his eyes. So oh. can you imagine, you know, what a picture of this dude would cut? Just this big, hulking, six-foot-four guy or whatever, you know? It's like... Yeah. You know, but even given, you know, that sort of, like, you know, intimidating appearance, you know, he was really well-respected, you know, among his peers. And, you know, like, regarded as one of the most friendly guys, you know, in the, in the whole industry. Oh, cool. Um, he... Uh, like I say, at an early age, got an affinity um, for uh, for artwork, and uh, and accordingly, you know, and I'm not sure of the the finer details of how this was arranged, but he actually wound up going to high school in New York. There was a sort of like technical school that was established at the time called the uh, School of Industrial Arts in New York, which was like a high school specifically geared for you know people that were entering into the artistic you know career field, like fame. <laughs> like fame, oh, yeah, sure. It's like, it's like fame, but for like you know artists and, and writers and, and stuff like that. And uh, and he had such an affinity, you know, for that that immediately after graduation, uh, he went you know right into the workforce. You know, didn't even go to college after that. You know, in 1941, um, you know, immediately after graduation, he was hired by uh, Timely Comics, which we've uh, mentioned here a couple times as the uh, proto Marvel. You know, in the 1940s, Timely Comics was where like you know Captain America and mm -hmm. like the Golden Age Human Torch and whatever that they mm -hmm. were published there. Um, so yeah, so he was brought on, you know, and uh, and worked on a couple of those titles. You know, he did a handful of stories, you know, for Captain America, Human Torch. Um, but the genre that he mostly worked in during that age was um, you and I had talked about uh, Archie comics. Yeah, how that sort of you know was the. Uh, uh, the very first sort of like teen humor oriented feature and how all these different like, you know, comic book companies would try to ape that. Yeah. Um, so Timely, you know, was no exception to that rule. And uh, Mike Sikowski, you know, when you look at, you know, his list of credits from that period, it's just like a laundry list of, you know, Archie ripoffs. He worked, worked on titles called uh, Willie, Genie, Georgie, Frankie, um, Patsy Walker, which... Uh, you probably do know the name because uh, when we watched uh, Jessica Jones, um, do you remember her her friend there? Yes, the blonde reporter. The reporter chick, yeah. exactly right. So that character, you know, from Jessica Jones was actually an older character, you know, from um, Marvel when they were timely, called Patsy Walker, who was kind of like a female version of Archie, just sort of, you know, getting into like, you know, wacky oh. teen hijinks. Yeah, yeah. Later on, that character would go on to be a superhero. It should be like a Hellcat, I think. You know, if Jessica Jones goes on, I'm sure they're going to introduce, you know, that character. Uh, another one, uh, Millie the Model, which was kind of like... Um, not so much teen humor, but more like teen fashion. Like, you know, it was a sort of young teen model or whatever. And, you know, they would use it as a, a spotlight for like, you know, readers to write in and, you know, with their costume design suggestions. And then Mike Sikowski, you know, would, would, draw. would draw their suggestions. Right. Yeah, well, that's a really good way to engage the audience. To engage the audience, exactly. Um, I think, you know, if I had to wager a guess that, you know, his uh, his work on Millie the Model, you know, sort of like female-oriented feature, mm -hmm. um, was what helped him transition basically into the uh, the next phase of his career at uh, at Timely and what eventually would wind up being his, his inroad, you know, into DC and uh, and that would be uh, romance titles. You know, like back in the day, we talked about the, uh, the waning of uh, superhero titles and how that basically, you know, opened the door for a lot of other genres, you know. Humor, cowboy, and westerns, exactly. You know, a detective, that type thing. Um, so Mike Skowski, no exception. You know, like as the you know World War II began winding down, um, like I say, that's where he began focusing um, both on romance titles, um, but then secondarily on uh, on humor. There was a, a feature that was created by an artist named uh, Al Jaffe, who I, I don't really think a lot of it in terms of his like comic book work. Whenever I think of that fellow, I tend to think in terms more of uh, Mad Magazine. He was the fellow who um, 
Do you ever see in the back of, uh, you know, Mad Magazine how, like, in the inside back cover, you know, they would have the, the sort of, like, art that you would fold, you know, like, it would have one, you know, little joke or whatever, but then you would have to fold on the lines and make, like, another joke? A different picture. A different, so do, yeah, right. So Al Jaffe was the, you know, the architect of that. Um, more, you know, in line with what we're talking about, like, say, his work at Marvel, he had created a uh, sort of, you know, funny animal feature. You know, we've talked before about how, you know, that w was a probably like fox yep. and crow type thing. Um, basically, Stan Lee said, you know, can you create something that's kind of like that? You know, like a, like a, a Mickey Mouse or a Bugs Bunny or whatever that gives the appearance of being like a cinematic thing, but, you know, is actually, you know, our own creation. So he created something called uh, Ziggy Pig and Silly Seal, which... Exactly that. Just a pig and a seal going out and having like, you know, like Tom and Jerry, you know. Crazy antics. Of, right, exactly. And so the reason we're talking about that is because Mike Sikowski, you know, like I said, when he was tapped for humor on Marvel, that's the feature that he primarily worked at. Oh, okay. And uh, it was during that time, you know, that uh, something actually happened in his personal life, um, which was going to have a, a direct impact, you know, I would say on his professional life. Um, Mike Sikowski, you know, had gotten married, you know, during that, you know, sort of turbulent, you know, wartime period or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but also during that period, he uh, he met a girl who was, uh, you know, a waitress. And, uh, you know, I think I, I'm not going, you know, too far, you know, afield to say that, you know, he developed a bit of a, an infatuation, I think, you know, with this oh, girl. okay. Yeah, because, uh, you know, he started like, you know, talking her up saying, you know, hey, you know, how much are you making here? Da, da, da. You know, I can get you over at, you know, Marvel Comics, you know, doing some stuff or whatever. You can make, you know, like double what you're making here, you know. And so like, she had a, a little bit of an interest in art or whatever, but no real professional skills, you know. Okay. But, uh, but nevertheless, you know, he went over, you know, and started talking to Stan Lee and talking up this girl or whatever, and Stan's like, eh, you know, whatever, let's, let's give her a shot. Um, so it turned out that uh, she actually had an affinity for inking. Um, so this woman uh, named Valerie Barclay um, started working for, like I said, the prototypical Marvel, you know, Timely Comics, uh -huh. inking Mike Sikowski on, you know, Ziggy Pig and, and you know, Silly Seal or whatever. And uh, unfortunately, you know, the, the Timely, and I would imagine all comic shops at that time were really, you know, boys clubs. You know, uh, yes. <laughs> like, like all the writers, all, all the artists, you know, working in this office or whatever are all guys. And uh, unfortunately, you know, Ms. Barclay wound up sort of being a, uh, a disconcerting factor, I, I think, in the office. You know, uh, Mike Sikowski, I mentioned, you know, had an infatuation for her. And mm -hmm. so even though he was married, you know, it was no secret that he would, like, go out and, like, get her expensive gifts. And, like, you know, oh. I, I don't want to say necessarily that there was a direct, you know, romantic, you know, relationship. But definitely he was, like, treating her like he wanted there to be one. Okay. Um, I, I found a quote, actually, you know, from her um, that says... Uh, you know, reiterates, you know, whatever he said about how he was well-liked. Um, you know, Valerie Barclay says that uh, Mike was a very good human being. Everybody at Timely liked him, uh, but nobody liked me <laughs> because they thought I was doing a number on him, uh, which was true, she says. Uh, World War II was on and there were no men around, so I just killed time with him. Uh, everybody, Dave Gantz especially, uh, Dave Gantz was the guy who taught her how to ink. Like, she came over, you know, with no skills and, you know, he's basically like, you know, here's how you do it. <laughs> um, so, uh, it's like everybody, you know, even him, you know, picked up on that. Uh, Mike once tried to get me fired over my fling with uh, timely artist George Klein. Uh, George Klein, uh, we've mentioned before on this show, was the uh, famous singer for Kurt Swan during the whole mm. Mort Weisinger, you know, Superman yeah. era. Um, so Mike, you know, Sikowski, upon seeing this, went to Stan Lee and said, Stan, I want her fired. And if she doesn't get fired, I'm going to quit. Uh, and so Valerie continuing says, well, you could never tell Stan Lee what to do. Stan said, well, Mike, it's been nice knowing you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that basically, you know, was the beginning of the end of, you know, Mike Sikowski's career mm -hmm. yeah. at, uh, at Timely. 
Um, so he freelanced, you know, through the late 40s and early 1950s at a handful of companies that we've talked about before. Uh, Quality, you know, where uh, Plastic Man, you know, is best known there. Mm -hmm. uh, Fawcett, which is known for uh, Captain Marvel. Uh, Dell, which is the, uh, I want to say Dell was the um, precursor to um, Gold Key. And we talked about that did a lot of those licensed things like Star oh, yeah. Trek or whatever, you know. I, I feel like there's some sort of connection between Dell and Gold Key. And then, uh, and then also St. John's Publications, uh, which we mentioned, you know, did uh, a lot of the heckle and jekyll and mighty mouse stuff mm -hmm. where, you know so he's sort of floated around like i say throughout that you know atomic age period um <laughs> before uh, before finally you know landing at dc in 1952 um and like i said before you know it was actually romance comics you know that got him that inroads um because the early 1950s at dc were all about romance like you know there i think they had like five or six different specific titles for like you know girls romance or you know romance tales even like hybrid things like you know like western romance and like you know <laughs> detective i'm making these up or whatever but it absolutely dominated the field and you know so mike sikowski's experience at timely you know in that genre was his direct inroad into dc um but in very short order you know he caught the eye of, uh, you know, one Julia Schwartz, mm -hmm. uh, who at the time was, you know, basically revamping DC, you know, in a very much a, a sci-fi bent. And, uh, you know, and he said, Sikowski, you know, really has a, a keen eye for like line, you know, definitely uh, we've seen before, you know, he really excels in regards to action shots. Um, so Julia Schwartz, you know, said, absolutely, this is a guy I want, you know, under my editorial purview. And so he brought him over, you know, onto the sci-fi line, you know, and some of the titles that we've talked about here before, you know, Mystery in Space, uh, Strange Adventures, mm -hmm. um, but probably most, you know, uh, famously is, uh, you know, Showcase Magazine that we've talked about, you know, ad nauseum here, you know, as being the launching pad for all those characters. Um, Julia Schwartz's, uh, I would say, you know, personal baby was a character by the name of uh, Adam Strange. Um, so we have, in, I think just last episode, mentioned a couple different of they're uh, sort of like futuristic sci-fi characters, you know, like Tommy Tomorrow or like, you know, uh, Space Ranger. Mm -hmm. um, but what Adam Strange, you know, how he differs from those characters is he was actually a contemporary sci-fi character. You know, he was a, uh, a dude who, uh, I think he's an archaeologist, I want to say, and he got um, hit by this beam from deep space or whatever. It was supposed to be a communication beam, like these aliens were trying to contact us, but it wound up being a teleportation beam. Oh. And so, yeah, it, it picked him up and sent him to this foreign planet um, where I, I forgot, I haven't read tons of Adam Strange, but somehow he winds up learning the language and falling in love with, like, you know, the chief scientist's daughter or something. And so right as this is, like, coming to being, all of a sudden this beam wears off on him and he was, like, winds up back on Earth. You and know? he's still in love with somebody. He's still in love. So, but, man, here's the, the, the sort of twist is that they keep sending communication. So Adam Strange has to basically travel the world and find out where the next beam is going to hit and then go there and he's immediately transported back. So he's only, he keeps having these like adventures back and forth. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's kind of neat. It's, it's actually a really good character, but um, but like I say, sort of falls outside the realm of what we're going to be discussing on the show. We, we might run into Adam Strange from time to time. Um, but the reason I'm talking about it here is because, like I say, for a very pivotal character, they you know entrusted the initial artistic you know uh, representation of him with Mike Sikowski. Um, Adam Strange is really sort of a jam job, really, you know, so he was Julius Schwartz's, you know, uh, like I say, you know, he came up with the idea, um, but he signed it out to, you know, his, his standby Gardner Fox uh -huh. to actually, you know, write the story. Uh, Sikowski did the internal art in, uh, you know, showcase number 17 uh, from November of 1958. Uh, Murphy Anderson did the art, you know, on the, on the cover. And then after a couple of showcase appearances, you know, Adam Strange, you know, winds up being assigned to a different magazine. I want to say Mystery in Space, I think, is where he initially appeared. And there, 
uh, Arcturus were given to Carmen Infantino. So basically, yeah. like anybody you can think everybody of, does. yeah, in the Silver Age had a had a hand in Adam Strange, um, but certainly Mike Sikowski and you know I think you know his performance on that job, you know, really sort of impressed you know upon Julius Schwartz, who then gave him a huge artistic assignment, and that was the uh, the creation of the Justice League. Oh, um, you know, we had talked about Gardner Fox and how he was you know reviving all these different concepts or whatever. Um, and probably the biggest thing that Gardner and Fox re revived was the concept of the Justice Society, you know, mm -hmm. reimagined for the Silver Age as the Justice League. And uh, I think we've mentioned before that first appeared in uh, Brave and the Bold, uh, number 28, um, from February of 1960. And right there from the forefront, you know, on artistic chores, Mike Sikowski. Um, he did all three, you know, triad appearances in the Brave and the Bold, and then moved over to the Justice League's, you know, um, eponymous title you know every story that we've read from justice league has been you know sikowski on art chores and he actually wound up staying you know on that book for a full 63 issues oh wow yeah like we, we were all impressed last time arnold drake did 40 on yeah. you know, doom patrol yeah sikowski 63 issues basically eight year span on uh, on jla i uh, went through you know we've already seen a couple different anchors right you know he started with bernard Sachs, and then joe giela had done some inking for him uh, you know, Sid Green, you know, who's going to be the the artist that we see tonight. Mm -hmm. um, but just really, really a, a solid run. You you don't see anything like this, you know, nowadays. Um, so during that period, like I say, that was his primary role. Um, but, um, you know, I didn't know this, but, uh, you know, during this period, you know, while he was doing JLA, he was also working for a different company, um, Tower Comics, um, who they're, they're actually best known for this team called the uh, the Thunder Agents, that um, traditionally I always associate the artist Wally Wood with them. Um, but like I say, you know, doing some research on this, it turns out that, you know, Sikowski had also been doing stories, you know, for the Thunder Agents as well. Hmm. Just, uh, you know, busy guy. Busy guy. It probably means nothing to you. You've never seen or heard of the Thunder Agents, but they're, they're quite well regarded. Like, you know, anybody who sort of takes a historical view of comics would definitely know, you know, uh, Thunder Agents and, you know, and Tower Comics. Um, so let's see. So, yeah, so that basically carried him through uh, the late 60s. Um, where we've talked about before, you know, basically a lot of these Silver Age, you know, guys were, were going to the wayside, you know, in favor of like, you know, new Bronze Age, yes. you know, whatever. Um, Mike Skowski survived that purge, you know, he, admittedly, he was taken off uh, JLA that was replaced by uh, the writer Denny O'Neill, um, but then art chores were handled by a, a guy, um, Dick Dillon, um, you know, who will probably see, you know, as we go forward in, into the Bronze Age wave. Mm -hmm. um, but during that time, you know, Sikowski was doing, you know, a handful of like, you know, humor titles. Um, he was the... Uh, primary artist on a, a title called uh, The Inferior Five, which was kind of like a... Uh, like a Fantastic Four <laughs> kind of, humor it, thing? Yeah, but it was more like parody. Like it kind yeah. of, you know, took like, you know, the heroic ideals and sort of inverted them. Like, you know, they had a, you know, instead of a fast guy, they had a super slow guy called Blimp because he was like, you know, fat. Oh. And then there was like, you know, Awkward Man, who was like kind of like Aquaman, but like, you know, would always trip and stuff like that. <laughs> it was, was kind of silly. Um, the Maniacs, which was like a, uh, kind of like a, a mod band title, you know, but like, uh -huh. you know, humor related. And then, uh, and then did have one, you know, uh, sort of more serious creation, um, you know, something called uh, Buona Beast. Which what is, was that about? It was like almost like a Tarzan type guy, ah, you know, sort of okay. like you know, in, a white guy in the jungle, you know, basically, you know, um, lording over the animals, that type of thing. Oh. Um, so, but at that time, like I say, you know, um, he moved from strictly you know artistic chores and kind of got a kick upstairs. He uh, he became an editor. Believe it or oh, not. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. He was, uh, you know, part of a group of uh, guys targeted by uh, Carmen Infantino, who I think I mentioned before had also, you know, been promoted to, you know, editorial director. Right. And uh, and he moved uh, Mike Sikowski, like I say, over to uh, editorial side of a handful of titles that I think, you know, might have been uh, struggling. 
Um, Metal Men that we've talked about before, you know, was sort of like, you know, a humanoid robot type right. thing. Um, adventure comics that uh, had been late of the Legion of Superheroes. They had been um, removed, you know, from the magazine, brought up into action. And so the title um, that then took primacy in that was uh, Supergirl. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mike Skowski, you know, had editorial chores over that. Um, Showcase magazine that, you know, we know, you know, quite intimately, you know, here on our show. Um, you know, he took over editorial reins on that. And, and also writing chores. You know, he introduced a couple concepts of his own, uh, Jason's Quest and, uh, and Manhunter 2070. Uh, Jason's Quest I'm actually quite fond of. It's uh, sort of a, 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 like a road type story, you know, like a, a boy finds out that he has, you know, this twin sister that he never knew existed, so he heads out on a motorcycle, uh, <laughs> you know, trails around trying, trying to hunt her down. It's, it was really yeah, I can see you low in that one. Yeah, it's quite a good series. Um, but most importantly, you know, like I say, the, he took over editorial reins on these titles, but, you know, the one historically that, you know, probably had the most impact uh, would have been Wonder Woman. Um, oh, yeah. You um, might have noticed, you know, on our show that Wonder Woman doesn't tend to have much of an appearance, you know, like occasionally she'll be in a JLA story, but, you know, generally she's kind of like given short shrift. Yeah. Um, there's a good reason for that. Like Wonder Woman throughout the 60s was kind of like, a lame title <laughs> like you know like if you ever go back and then read any of those silver age you know wonder woman stories they're really sort of like geared for you know a a much younger audience and b not a lot of creativity was put in there it's my own opinion but you know obviously um folks at editorial must have shared my opinion because you know in october of 1968 when they passed it over to mike sikowski they gave the whole title a complete revamp you know gone were the you know sort of super heroics gone was the flashy costume um Mike and, you know, initially with uh, the writer Denny O'Neill, you know, for a, a four-issue run, sort of revamped her almost in a mod styling. Hmm. Like, they got rid of all of her, you know, sort of red, white, and blue-inspired costume and put her sort of, like, almost in, like, a, an Emma Peel type thing, you know, from, like, the old, yeah. like, Avengers spy show. Put her, like, sort of, like, a leather jumpsuit, that type thing. And, uh, and additionally, you know, her whole backstory, you know, her connection to, you know, Paradise Island and the Amazons or whatever, um, all those people, like, left our dimension and all of a sudden Wonder Woman's powers went with them. So basically, here she is, a completely depowered individual that has to learn to find her heroic way in this world. You know, that actually makes it more interesting. Uh, it's very interesting. You know, it's I find it quite an engaging run. You know, she learns like karate and she gets like this sort of like Asian mentor, which is a little bit dated or whatever. You know, the dude's mm. name is actually I Ching. <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> but, uh, but no, it's, it's a fun little run. And uh, and I think we may, when we get into the Bronze Age stuff, you know, take a look at a couple of those. We're not, we're not going to look at like tons and tons, but there is a section um, that does deal with magic. So maybe we'll, you know, visit the uh, the mod, you know, era of Wonder Woman. Um, but that whole idea, you know, of like transformation, um, that kind of characterized, you know, Mike Sikowski's, you know, editorial approach, like all the titles that we've talked about thus far, um, you know, that he was editor for, kind of took on that bent. Um, like Metal Men, I know, I know you're not familiar with them, you know, but basically they're robots. Um, well, when he came on, he sort of changed the whole direction of that and made them like robots on the run. Like instead of just being out there, you know, in like Metal Men, they started wearing these like, you know, polymer masks or whatever and trying to like incorporate into human society. Like androids? Kind of like an android type thing or whatever, but more like, you know, like hiding who they were. Um, adventure comics, you know, where I said, you know, like Supergirl was there. Uh -huh. um, well, instead of being, you know, sort of like Superman's little cousin, it still was that or whatever, but it sort of became more like, you know, a woman trying to find her way. Like she went off to college and like, uh -huh. you know, that type thing. Um, so like I say, and then certainly, you know, the Wonder Woman stuff, you know, with the loss of her powers and like, you know, whatever, um, really sort of focused on the journey of the individual from one state to another. And, uh, 
And once again, to you know, it's kind of weird, Mike Sikowski. You can't really look at his professional work without looking at his personal life. Mm -hmm. um, there's a bit of an explanation, you know, by his his second wife actually, as to why that might be. Um, it turns out, you know, that during this sort of you know turbulent time of the '60s or whatever, uh, Mike Sikowski, and uh, once again, I'm not giving away any secrets here. This is well publicized. Sort of had a problem with uh, alcohol. Like, you know, was uh, you know, a bit of a heavy drinker. And uh, and unfortunately, you know, that sort of resulted in, you know, sort of breakdown, I, I guess, uh, of his family life. Um, you know, his wife that we talked about, you know, during the 40s, um, you know, wound up leaving him and taking the kids. And uh, and like yeah. I say, you know, I have a quote here from his, his second wife, uh, Pat Sikowski, who, uh, who writes, You see, when I met Mike, it was after his wife left him and took their kids. And that broke his heart. He loved those children. He'd had a beautiful house that he bought for them, and that was his good side. But he ruined everything with his drinking. Uh, but Michael could still draw, no matter what condition he was in. Um, so, like I say, you know, historians, you know, speculate that that sort of, you know, turbulent personal life really then sort of, you know, informed his artistic approach. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they cite, you know, his erratic and strange behavior, his unique art style, you know, later in the day, and then his penchant for not seeming to care, you know, whether it's thought of his work. You know, basically, you know, all these titles I've mentioned went in brave new directions or whatever that, you know, some maybe more conservative, you know, editors or publishers, or whatever said, you know, what the heck are you doing? Um, but, you know, uh, Sikowski didn't care. And uh, in fact, you know, that was sort of the uh, the straw that broke the camel's back, you know, in his relationship with uh, DC. Uh, as I mentioned before, you know, Carmine Infantino had yeah. been, uh, you know, promoted to editorial director. Mm -hmm. um, well, apparently that feature I mentioned, Jason's Quest, um, Sikowski, that must have been very, very near and dear to his heart um, because he was scrupulous, you know, with the, the writing and, and drawing of it, um, so much so that, you know, he wasn't making his deadlines anymore. Um, he, oh, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, his, his, you know, second wife goes on saying that, uh, you know, apparently there was a conflict between Sikowski and publisher Carmine Infantino over Jason's quest. It was only when they got to Jason's quest uh, that things got bad. He wound up owing DC money. Oh. Yeah, Mike was paid a salary and was taking a lot of time doing his work after Wonder Woman, so he was getting paid and not producing work. Uh, that got him behind. Yeah. <laughs> so so obviously that's not going to fly. And, you know, Carmine, uh, you know, so once again, didn't necessarily fire him, but definitely sort of like, you know, pulling back, Writing you know, in. the assignments he got. Yeah, he lost his editorial job and then only had like a handful of, you know, drawing assignments. Um, so he left DC, you know, in the, in the mid 70s, um, but only did like occasional work. Uh, he worked for Marvel for a time in one of their imprints called the Atlas Seaboard, which was not like Spider-Man and Captain America, but sort of like, you know, new type characters. And But that line didn't last very long. Um, he, probably his uh, his biggest job, you know, in his latter part of his career was uh, working in animation. He, oh. um, yeah, he did uh, layout work for uh, Hanna-Barbera, um, working on uh, Scooby-Doo, um, you know, Casper the Friendly Ghost. Uh -huh. And to bring it full circle... Super Friends, which was based on the Justice League. Justice League, exactly. So you know, he, he you know finished it, you know, where he started, you know, with DC. Um, so yeah, so that basically you know encapsulates the last ten years of his career. Uh, he actually passed away in uh, 1989, once again, unfortunately, from complications, you know, resulting from his alcoholism. Mm. Um, died a very young man, actually, only uh, age 66. Oh, okay. Um, the uh, final note I'd like to say is just a, a quote here from, you know, one of his uh, co-workers, you know, when he was at Hanna-Barbera. He's an artist uh, by the name of uh, Dave Stevens, who's probably best remembered as the uh, the creator, both, uh, you know, writer and artistically for um, The Rocketeer. Do you uh -huh, know that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Dave, you know, writes that uh, he shared a cubicle with Mike for the better part of one year. I think that was the uh, latter part of 78 or the beginning of 79. He said, I'd turn around and, and watch those drawings happen, and he would give me a few of them. And the thing I was just amazed at wasn't just his speed, but his boldness. He would put down the pencil and never erase. 
He'd literally outline wow. a figure, just a few simple strokes, and then before you knew it, he'd have all the intricate stuff there too. And it's like you said, he would just work it out in his head first, and then never draw a false line until the thing was done. It just seemed like it was all thinking for him, and the drawing itself was almost effortless. There was no work to it at all. And then he'd be done and have coffee, and the rest of us would just be drudging through the rest of the day. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, so yeah, apart from, you know, any, you know, personal demons he may have been fighting, you know, the true legacy of Mike Sikowski, and, you know, the one that we should always, you know, think about when, when talking to the man, you know, is his artistic legacy, you know, just a, a legend in the field, you know, one that spanned, you know, from World War Two, you know, all the way through through the 80s, you know, and, and every time we think of the Justice League, you know, we have, uh, you know, Sikowski, to, to thank, you know, for providing that, uh, you know, initial vision of that team. Um, so with that in mind, you know, I, I think the most appropriate tribute then is to take a look at one of those JLA stories. All right. Right. So tonight's story, you know, as I mentioned, is uh, from Justice League of America, uh, number 49. Uh, so it'd be from November of 66, you know, the, uh, the downward slope of our, you know, Silver Age. Uh, and this is a story called The Threat of the True or False Sorcerer. And, uh, you know, of course, I mentioned that sorcerer would be... Felix Faust. Felix Faust. Uh, so let's go ahead and, uh, and take a look at that cover. Okay. All right. So this cover uh, is penciled by Mike Sikowski, of course. You know, inks by Murphy Anderson and, uh, and letters by Gaspar Saladino. And, uh, you know, quite appropriate for, you know, us closing out the Silver Age. You know, once again, we have a callback, you know, to all of our Silver mm -hmm. Age elements. Um, you know, we got our purple background. Purple background. We got our go-go checks. You know, we got uh, Batman. Batman front and center. You know, uh, taking control of the action, knocking out. You know, some uh, big, you know, beastie demon. You know, as the the demon itself. You know, has clocked out Superman. So obviously, you know, Batman far more powerful than Superman. And then, uh, and in the background, we also see you know Green Lantern. You know, giving the dude a blast. Um, but who's in charge of our nefarious doings? Felix Faust. Felix Faust saying. There's no real way for the Justice Leaguers to defeat my unreal demon, as our uh, narration tells us. Batman, Superman, Flash, Green Lantern in the threat of the true or false sorcerer. That's a that's a bit of a mouthful. Like I keep wanting to say the true false sorcerer as opposed to true or false sorcerer. Yeah, it's, it's not a little awkward. It's not very uh, like you know the the prose doesn't flow in a, a typically you know Foxian way. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go ahead and uh, and open this one up. Uh, to our splash panel, which, you know, surprise, surprise, not only one, uh, but two Felix Fausts. Uh, Double trouble. Felix <laughs> Fi. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Felix Fausti. <laughs> so, and, uh, and both of them, you know, are taunting our leaguers. You know, Felix Faust number one is saying, unless you can tell which of us is the real Felix Faust and which is the false, as the second completes the sentence, the entire universe and every living thing on it will blow up. Ha ha ha. They're being, you know, charged by our our Justice League foursome, Superman, Batman, Flash, and Green Lantern. And uh, our narration says, How could the Justice League hope to figure out which of the two Felix Faust was real and which was unreal, when not even the sorcerers themselves knew? With the clock of universal doom almost at zero hour, these superheroes take off on their toughest case, the threat of the true or false sorcerer. Story by Gardner Fox, art by Mike Sikowski and Sid Green. And uh, it's not credited, uh, letters by Gaspar Saladino. <laughs> so our roll call, Batman, Flash, Green Lantern, Superman, and in, uh, you know, to loop it all back around, a last minute dramatic appearance by... Snapper Carr. Your favorite. <laughs> so goodbye, Silver Age. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go ahead and uh, see what our story has in store for us. As we begin in a federal penitentiary, where we see a smirking prisoner lifting the lid of a cigar box filled with odds and ends collected over a period of months. 
you know, and it's uh, Felix Faust. I've never seen him without his hood. Apparently, Felix Faust is a, is a baldy. <laughs> <laughs> so he's thinking, soap shavings, used tea leaves, burned matchsticks, worthless little things, all of them, but they'll serve to get me out of my jail cell. And our narration says, this man is Felix Faust, master magician, nefarious necromancer, wizard of the weird arts. Yes, he thinks, I shall escape, and I defy anyone, especially the Justice League of America, to stop me. So he takes his little, you know, uh, trinkets, you know, lays them on the floor and, you know, begins chanting one of his, you know, typical Faustian spells. Tea leaf, spinach, gold of an L, seed from a plant and a tolling bell, bit of soap and blot of ink, burning match without a kink, as butterfly flits and acorn falls, now help me to escape these walls. Was it gold off an L? I have no idea. It's an E-L-L. I have no idea what that could be. So the next instant of thaumaturgic time, you know, we see Felix Faust has been transported to his very own den of demonology. You know, we see him in this little headquarters with all his, like, you know, books and candles and such. And he says, my conjuration did it, sprung me out of jail. Oh, but then we hear, you know, his shadow say, my conjuration did it, sprung me out of jail. Huh? Thinks Felix Faust. An echo. No, it's another person looking like me. As uh, his shadow, you know, begins taking form and, yes, looking like an exact duplicate of, uh, of Felix Faust. Who are you? demands uh, Faust Prime. I'm Felix Faust, of course, says the uh, the newly created Shadow Man. What are you doing here, you imposter? Imposter, says first one. Me? I'm Felix Faust, the world's greatest sorcerer. You're not good enough to stand in my shoes. By the time I'm through with you, says Faust too, you won't even be standing. As they start, you know, punching each other in the face. So discovering quickly enough, though, that fisticuffs cannot solve their perplexing problem, the duplicate demonologists delve into musty volumes of sorcerous lore. Fox pulling out mm -hmm. all the uh, alliterative stops here. Mm -hmm. He is firing on all cylinders. Uh, so we see uh, we see the two, you know, begin cooperating. You know, Faust, you know, one pouring over an ancient tome, thinking, perhaps I misused a word, omitted a vital element of the conjuration. Uh, number two is thinking... Evidently, in escaping the prison, I created a duplicate of myself. I've got to rectify that blunder. Uh, so, donning Kabbalistic clothes, the twin Felix Faust conjures up the demon Abaddon. Ooh, this is a, just for your edification, uh, this particular demon is going to become uh, kind of important later on in DC history. He, um, I mentioned to you before, uh, Jack Kirby, um, you know, had a, a series called The Demon, you know, the, the sort of, like, mm -hmm. man who can transform into a demon by saying a rhyme. Um, well, when he goes back to hell, I think uh, he has a battle, you know, with uh, this particular guy, you know, Abaddon. But uh, apparently, you know, Felix Faust had at him first uh, because he summons him and Abaddon says, Not even I, who have served you before, can determine who is who. Oh, apparently. <laughs> this is not the first time he's summoned him. Mm. Uh, but I do know the false Felix Faust will fade away when the spell which created him wears off. And when that happens, the resultant explosion of his disappearance will destroy the entire universe and every living thing in it. Wow. Felix Faust, whoever you are, there's only one way to save yourself and the universe. Conjure the unreal one out of existence before he fades away. You know, or just call a specter. I'm sorry, you can put all this in order. <laughs> Uh, so, but they uh, they take Abaddon's advice. Good enough, says uh, Faust one. I'll take care of that right now. Wait, says uh, number two. You're sure you're the real Faust? But so am I. Should the false one destroy the true one, he will eventually fade away and destroy the universe. A mistaken identity would be fatal for both of us. Uh, so one says, it's impossible for us to know the dilemma, but I know someone who can. The Justice League of America. That's not someone. That's, <laughs> that's, a, team. that's a team. Agreed, says uh, Faust two, you know agreeing to this uh, grammatical mistake. Uh, let us cast a spell and summon them to an emergency meeting. Let's uh, see how they do that. 
so shortly afterward, uh, we see the twin magicians materialize in Justice League headquarters as, uh, you know, surprising the team, you know, Flash says, Felix Faust in duplicate. What kind of double trouble is he planning? <laughs> Superman says, maybe this has something to do with the reason why only four of us showed up at this meeting. As, uh, you know, Faust, I guess, begins com uh, explaining. The counterfeit devil must be responsible for it. He knows no matter what happens, he won't exist much longer. So he cast a magical spell on the rest of the Justice Leaguers to immobilize them and bring doom to us all. Yes, that must be it. <laughs> this was your doing, you phony, he says, you know, swinging around at his doppelganger. Time's too valuable to waste doing that, you know, says uh, Faust too. We don't know how much longer before either of us fades out and destroys the universe. We'll have to rely on these four. Destroy the universe, says Batman. Say, what's this all about? <laughs> so, so swiftly, the story pours from the lips of the troubled thaumaturgists. <laughs> it's simple to destroy the magical Felix Faust. The trouble is, we don't dare risk it till we know which one is real and which one is false. I've been trying to find out that with my power ring, says Green Lantern, but I can't. This is the toughest problem we've ever tackled, says Superman. Anyone have an idea how to start? What about this idea, suggests Faust II, will create menacing situations for you to deal with, the handling of which we hope, somehow, will enable you to determine which of us is the real Felix Faust. Yes. Oh, good idea. <laughs> that's a completely reasonable suggestion. Let's see, on our, our facing page, we have a little uh, a toy ad, which... Uh, I never had this as a child, but my next-door neighbor did, and I always thought it was super cool. This is the uh, the Mattel Thingmaker. Basically, you um, you pour this little, like, gel-type stuff into molds, and you can make, like, creepy-crawly things. So basically, you know, you get a, a mold of, like, a centipede or, like, you know, a mold of, like, a, you know, a spider or something like that and, like, mm -hmm. freak out your little sister, you know? Is that what you did? <laughs> well, my neighbor did. So let's uh, continue on, uh, you know, with uh, somebody else, you know, who might be conjuring some creepy-crawly things, uh, Mr. Felix Faust. In the threat of the true or false sorcerer, part two, as, uh, you know, we see Faust conjuring, I guess, some little uh, transportation bubbles, you know, around uh, Superman and Flash thing. By wind, by rain, by sea, by star, I send thee on a journey far. As uh, Faust two says, "Get set, Batman! You and Green Lantern are about to be dispatched on your quest." As uh, Green Lantern thinks, "I know this isn't a trick because I probed their minds while trying to learn who was who. There really are two Felix Faust, but who's the real one?" But scarcely have the two troubleshooters drawn a deep breath when uh, you know, we see Flash and Superman, you know, materialize at, I guess, our railroad track. What a come down, says Flash. We've been transported to an ordinary railroad siding where some fugitive from a freak show has broken into one of the cars. As, uh, you know, in the background, we see a sort of, you know, Shrek-looking mm -hmm. creature, you know, big, like, you know, green ogre. Uh, Don't knock magic, Flash, says Superman. I'm vulnerable to it, so I have a great respect for it. Let me have first crack at that troll. Oh, apparently it's a troll. Uh, so Superman says, trolls are either gigantic or dwarfish. I'll cut this one down to size, he says, you know, uh, flying with a fist right into the troll's face, but uh, no good. Yow, he says, my aching hand, a troll's full of magic. You ban hit me, says troll, I ban hit you. I don't know what that means, uh, ban, like, uh, DC Comics has this, uh, not a superhero team, but like a, a military team called the Blackhawks, what they are mm. is a... Uh, uh, a group of international pilots, you know, so there's one from like France, one from like, you know, uh, Sweden, that type thing. And, uh -huh. I, and I believe the big Swede guy always punctuates his uh, dialogue with the word ban. Like, like I think instead of am, like, you know, I ban Olaf, you know, something like that. So let, let's see if I, you ban hit me. See, it doesn't fit. You ban, like you did hit me. I do hit you, maybe. Maybe. I, I have no idea. We're going to look up what ban means. Um, so, uh, so Superman, you know, says, uh, I'll swat him with his railroad tie. He's apparently, you know, destroying the railroad and <laughs> ripping up a tie. Um, that way, his magical body won't weaken my Krypton body. 
Save a piece of the action for me, Superman, says Flash. Remember, Felix Faust sent both of us on this assignment. As, uh, in the background, we see something else like beginning to materialize. I see like a, a hand, you know, coming out of yeah. a cloud. Uh, let's turn the page and see what that is. Uh, Go find your own troll, Flash, says Superman. I'm just getting interested in this supernatural Scandinavian. Oh, yes. So there oh. he goes. Uh, he, puts a, he puts up a pretty good fight. As, uh, you know, Superman thinks, I may be vulnerable to magic, but I can still use my superpowers to good effect, since magic doesn't weaken me as much or as fast as kryptonite does. Ha! Huh, says Superman, you know, hitting the, uh, the troll in the back of the head. That headache evens the score for my headache. Nope! Says the uh, Scandinavian troll. Uh, not putting up any resistance at all? He sure weakens fast, says Superman, you know, slugging him in the gut. Uh, but when Superman starts to fly groundward with his captive, zwock, the, uh, the troll, you know, returns the, the punch. Guess I spoke too soon, says Superman. The troll suddenly regained his strength. Oof, he says, you know, getting, cra oh, look at that, getting Aww. his head cracked right into, you know, a brick wall. If there's one thing I didn't need today, it's a facial treatment. Oh, watch out below, calls Superman as the, the both of them go, you know, tumbling off a, a building, you know, heading toward a, a perfume truck. And uh, they crash through the roof of the, the park delivery truck, you know, <laughs> shattering all the perfume, no doubt. Yikes. Uh, he lost his strength again, says Superman. And now I think I know why. Yup, says the, uh, the troll as Superman socks him. Uh, as soon as I belt him into dreamland, I'll find Flash and tell him what I found out. Uh, but meanwhile, the uh, Scarlet Speedster has not been idle. Oh no, this is our narration. Uh, for just as Superman took off into the air with the troll, you're not going anywhere, friend, says, uh, you know, a, uh, apparently a leprechaun, maybe a, a friend oh, of uh, Shaughnessy's. <laughs> huh? Says Flash, you know, as uh, this little leprechaun, you know, trips him up in front of the train. I'm seeing things, a, a leprechaun. Right, and gifted with magic, I might add. Ah, oh, I see you don't believe me. Very well, you'll get a demonstration. The hand is faster than the eye, Flasher. Even your super fast eye. And you see my hands, and yet... Four hands are better than two. Ha ha ha! Says the leprechaun, suddenly like magically materializing two more arms. And... Oh, so he's fun. So... <laughs> Magical hands, says Flash, holding me so tightly I can't move. While my extra hands heave too, I'll lean too, says the, uh, the leprechaun, uh, I guess smashing him into the wall. Uh, don't forget, Flash, when this is over, I'll sell you some headache pills. <laughs> oh, <What>? that's nice. <laughs> uh, but the fastest man alive uh, can work a speed magic of his own. As his head touches the building wall, you know, we see uh, Flash begin his little vibrating trick, thinking, uh, by vibrating at super speed, I pierce the wall without harm, now to make a chump out of that imp. Uh, by windmilling my arms, I can generate more power than the strongest airplane propeller, enabling me to show a tricky feat of my own, he says, you know, uh, swinging his feet around to, uh, to clock the leprechaun. Uh, is this oak tree okay with you, leppy boy? <laughs> he says, you know, smacking him into a tree. Um, the arm thing, you know, yeah. the twirly arm thing, that's a very, very standard, you know, flash thing. He uses his, you know, uh, propeller arms all the time to, like, you know, prevent him from, like, you know, going into water or even, like, fly sometimes. I think yeah, can, like, I think you know, I've seen it that. before. Uh, so our story uh, continues on the second page following. Uh, after <laughs> that, AMT makes right. the party. Say, we're wrapping up our Silver Age. We need everything. You know, this and is the uh, seem to happen. The AMT cat, and then uh, and then we were actually referenced this in our last episode. Remember, I told you um, they finally decided to make something of Plastic Man. Mm -hmm. um, so this is the debut issue of that. You know, written by Arnold Drake. Uh, he's not as strong as Superman, as brainy as Batman, as fast as the Flash, as small as the Atom, or as wet as Aquaman. Uh, but he is the one, the only original Plastic Man. Uh, who will be canceled after just a handful of issues. So, so are they saying, like, he ain't much, but he's ours? <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, he's the slyest, slipperiest, slinkiest superhero of them all. Uh, so, but he is not in this story. As we return, you know, to the battle of, you know, Flash and the Leprechaun, 
Uh, sapped of his magical strength by the surprise attack of the Scarlet Speedster, the Leprechaun howls for, Help! Somebody give me a hand with this slap-happy speed demon! He says, his, you know, mm-hmm. Flash, you know, is, is making, you know, even more multiple hands because super speed. He's got like eight different hands punching the guy. Things aren't so funny with you on the receiving end, are they? Says Flash. Um, but, you know, from the four corners of the earth come uh, four more baddies, you know, uh, Nixies of Nightmare, Ogres of the Occult, Musclemen of Magic, and they, I don't even begin to know what these things are. Uh, we hear you, Brother Bogey. Here comes Perry, the Persian Perry. So apparently a Perry must be... Oh yeah, of course, I, there's actually a villain called the Yellow Perry. So apparently that's a sort of Persian sprite type thing. You know, maybe like a genie. And uh, Carcass the Kobold, you know, says this one-eyed creature, keeps knuckles crush ready for kooks. Kobold, I want to say, is a German... So I think these are basically international, you know, magical beings. Like a kobold comes from Germany. This Perry, you know, comes from, uh, like, Iran. Uh, Oop, says uh, Flash. And all of this is supposed to help us identify the real Felix Faust? Yeah, <laughs> probably not. Uh, so flashing fists dart out, you know, as uh, Flash attempts to defend himself from this onslaught of magical beings. More hocus-pocus, says Flash. My fist went right through them. Uh, you want it to be easy, do you, Flash? Says the Perry. Sure. What kind of self-respecting demons do you think we'd be if we let you knock us out? Says, uh, I don't know what this thing is. <laughs> sort of like a, like a, t- a giant toad or something. That's weird. What those ridges? Yeah. So, uh, that doesn't stop us, says the Cobalt, from swatting you. That's the name of the game, Flash, says uh, the Perry. We get all the advantages. You don't get any. And they, they hit him with a, a zat, a bop, and a splat. Well, maybe it's the Enchantress. Maybe it's the sun splat. <laughs> so, so belted off his feet, you know, Flash scrapes pebbles, dirt, and flowers as he slides along the ground. Nice going, Jin and Kako Demon. Okay, so which is the that must be the Jin in the background, and then Kakao Demon. What is that? Coco Demon. I guess it must be the frog looking thing. Uh, having problems, Speed Boy says the the Coco Demon. <laughs> uh, do you want to quit and go back where you came from? Taunts the uh, the Jin. You fellas are pretty flip with your talk, says Flash, you know, suddenly springing to his feet. How about, hey, this time I hit him, says Flash as he jumps up and, you know, knocks the Perry in the face. There can be only one reason. Uh, so at this moment, you know, Superman drops downward, you know, ogre troll thing, you know, in hand. Uh, nice work, Flash. I see you tumbled uh, to what's going on, just as I did. Uh, now we know how to expose the true or false Felix Faust. And they say, shaking hands among, you know, a pile of, of knocked out demons. And, uh, you know, our story continues on the third page following. Uh, but this ends on a two-third page as very, very important. You know, our bottom one-third is just a single ad. and says, uh, Professor Ira West invites you to attend the marriage of his daughter Iris to Barry Allen in the November issue of The Flash. Ooh, yeah, it's cordial a, invitation. <laughs> but it's kind of a neat thing in the Silver Age. Like, they don't, you know, do this so much anymore. But back in the day, they didn't really, like, you know... I guess, fear their characters getting married. You know, they could actually progress the plot. Um, so, like, so like Elongated Man, you know, is married. You mm-hmm. know, Hawkman's married. Uh, Aquaman, you know, got married to... What? <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know you were holding that hope. But, yeah, he got married to uh, a woman uh, named uh, Mara, who, you know, like Mara of the Sea or whatever. Uh, she was sort of, like, um, from a different dimension, a queen type thing. Um, but Barry Allen, probably the most importantly, in you know, The Flash, mm-hmm. gets married to his longtime girlfriend. And... Uh, and on their wedding night, he reveals that he's the Flash. You know, <laughs> par for the course. You maybe should have told her that before yeah. the wedding. <laughs> At least a couple minutes before, yeah. you know. So, uh, so let's continue on uh, to the threat of the true false sorcerer, true or false sorcerer, uh, part three. Uh, let's see. Before we begin, we got our letters page. Let's do a quick pass through. 
Edmund Murray, no, no, Roger Haley, don't know that guy, Walter Smith, no, Irene Vartnoff, you know, took a, took a break this, this month. <laughs> uh, so, magically wafted through the air, we see Batman and Green Lantern becoming targets for amazing attacks. Uh, from clouds in the sky, pretty selfides command wispy fingers to ensnare the Emerald Gladiator, while their equally charming cousins, the Tree Spirit Dryads, work wizardly weapons to entrap the Caped Crusader. How can our dauntless duo expect to fight off female foes. What? <laughs> Who would want to do that? <laughs> so we see uh, you know, Green Lantern in the, uh, the cloudy grasp of uh, sylphides, which you know, I guess are like air sprites. Hmm. And, then, uh, and then Batman is you know, wrapped up in the, the tree branches you know, of the dryads, um, which we know from you know, our very first story, he has a uh, utility belt you know, uh, <laughs> uh, antidote for this, right? He pulled out his, his powdered lead or whatever to burst those trees into flames. <laughs> <laughs> So down from their cloud home, uh, we see swooping the winged women, the uh, the sylphides. Tag, you're it, you know, says one of them, you know, punching Green Lantern. Tee-hee, we've never had a real-life superhero to play with before, says another one, you know, hitting them. Look, kids, I mean, young ladies, uh, this case I'm on is no laughing matter. Uh, so suddenly, we see the gripping cloud hands begin to pull and stretch the Green Gladiator, almost in Spectre fashion. This is disgusting. <laughs> they, they've, like, pulled him to, like, you know, uh, rail thin here. Look now, says Green Lantern, I'll be forced to do a bit of spanking unless you act your age. Ooh, say the Sylphides, let's play jump rope, everybody. You know, using uh, Green oh, Lantern's body. Oh, Yeah. This is humiliating, thinks Green Lantern. I don't want to use my power ring against those girls, but they're not giving me any other choice. Eight, nine, ten, says the other one. He's jumping over his body. Teehee, isn't that cute? He's using a power ring to try and blow away that cloud. How silly, says another. We're magic, and unless he knows the magic formula that gives us life, his power ring can't do a thing against us. Uh, so on the ground below, we see a pile of burning leaves. As, uh, Green Lantern makes a little uh, bellows construct out mm -hmm. of his, uh, his power ring. Uh, by whipping up a large enough fire with these power bellows, thinks Green Lantern, I'll cause the heated air to rise up beneath the cloud and blow it away. Uh, but instead, <coughs> he starts coughing, the, sm the smoke's skirting around the sylphides and concentrating on me, <coughs> getting my eyes and lungs. <coughs> uh, so finally, uh, the heat dissipates uh, its cloudy grip on Green Lantern. I I'm coming back together, he says. Oh my, says the sylphide, he's spoiling all our fun. Well, let's not just stand around, dearie. Let's see what else we can do. All around the witchberry bush, poor Green Lantern. They say, doing some sort of, like, you know, sprite dance around him. <laughs> oh, I'm being tugged back and forth by the forces. I can't see. Got to stop these fun-time girls somehow. Or they'll make a wreck out of me. And, uh, obviously, fun-time girl must have had a different meaning back in the, in the, the uh, 60s. Uh, so how does a super He-Man hero fight girls, as our narration? Uh, well, look how Green Lantern tackles this ticklish situation. Eek, mice! And they say it's Aww. Green Lantern suddenly <laughs> makes, like, green uh, ring construct mice. Uh, sorry, girls, I hate to do this, but after all, you are helping Felix Faust. He thinks, no clue yet to tell me who the real or false Faust is. Uh, but then, uh, leaping from breeze to gale, hopping across the upper roof of the world, comes Boreas, master of the winds, lord of air, whose merest whim hurricanes and cyclones must obey. Hold, Green Lantern, says a, a sort of god-looking thing coming out of the uh, uh, sky. Uh, Play your tricks on me, great Boreas, not my relatives, the Sylphides. Ah, you bag of wind, says uh, Green Lantern. I'll be happy to take you on. Oh, but it's Boreas who strikes first with a storm of hailstones and lightning bolts. 
puny power ring wearer. I shall sweep you from my realm. I shall batter you into submission. I shall render you null and void. He says, you know, conjuring the, uh, the thunder and lightning striking down on Green Lantern. Oh, says uh, Green Lantern. Magic hailstones ripping right through my power umbrella. Oh, because he's made a, a, a ring construct umbrella. Uh, but back and forth, twisting and turning, the green gladiator seeks asylum from the awesome forces of nature which assail him. I sure am denting my superhero image, thinks Green Lantern, by cavorting around like this. Uh, but what else can I do? What? <laughs> uh, so intent is uh, Green Lantern on his plight that he has no eyes for his flight direction. And, oh, what a clumsy clod to bang myself into a bell. Oh, because he, uh, he was hurtling down toward a bell tower. I missed oh, that. Oh. Yeah, and then he, and he hits the bell. Uh, but astonishingly, you know, as he hits it and begins bonging, uh, all those melodious tones ring out all around him. Bong, bong, bong. As he thinks, huh? The hailstones, the lightning fading out. No more wind, no more Boreas. Sure, that's it. Now I know how to put the guilty finger on Felix Faust. Ooh, turn about. I'm mm-hmm. Felix Faust, a finger on Felix Faust this time. <laughs> uh, so continued on the second page following. So on that second page, we see uh, far below Batman, who has been caught and gripped uh, by the animated branches of entranced trees. As uh, so we see Batman all caught up, saying, as Robin would say, holy oak, <laughs> something <laughs> like this wood happens. I'm beginning to feel like a scatter rug hung on in the line for cleaning, as the, uh, the dryads begin beating him with, you know, branches. Uh, so the brilliant flare of his utility belt laser gun does nothing against the magic of the attacking trees, as we see, you know, Batman pulling out a little, almost <laughs> like a laser pointer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sudden gust of wind isn't any help either, thinks Batman. It's blowing so hard I can barely get my breath. Uh, so as if endowed with wings by the wind blowing across this necromantic land, a discarded newspaper adds to the discomfort of the Cape Crusader. Oof, he says as a, uh, a newspaper blows right into the, the, uh, the Daily Star, apparently. That's the... Uh, the newspaper that the Golden Age Superman works for, you know, oh. Superman works for the Daily Planet and the Golden Age works for the Star. Oh, as if I haven't got enough troubles, says uh, Batman. Uh, now I got a personal delivery of a newspaper. Go peddle yourself someplace else, he says, you know, tearing the newspaper from his face. Uh, so as his hand lifts to ward off a lashing branch, you know, Batman thinks, gotta keep that branch away from, hey, all of a sudden it's lost its zing. The branches about me are loosening too. Strange, but maybe not, he says, you know, dropping to the ground as the, the branches, you know, loosen. Uh, well, at least that's over, he says. Your troubles are only beginning, Batman, says a, a strange woody creature, you know, emerging from the forest, who uh, looks, and I'll say this, you know, for the benefit of my readers, but he looks a lot like an Adam villain called uh, Floronic Man, like a dude who turns himself, like, into, you know, he takes, like, a, uh, a chemical formula and turns himself basically into, like, a plant, you know? Mm. And he, he kind of looks very much like this guy, except this guy has, like, almost like... Um, Elk horns, I guess, created out, out of wood, you know, like, you know, almost like antlers or whatever, you know, uh, but wooden. Uh, and then this guy says, your troubles are only beginning, Batman. I am the stag god, Cernonos, master of all wild things, and as such, I am unbeatable in battle. You'll have to prove that to me, Cernonos. I'm going to look that name up. I've never heard that. Have you? Mm-mm. No? My pleasure, says Cernonos, uh, you know, sort of uh, ramming Batman, you know, with his antlered head. Oof, says Batman being knocked back. Uh, magic is good, but judo's better, he says, you know, <laughs> grabbing the, the god, you know, by the arm and sort of, you know, using his weight for a throw. You won't beat me, Batman. I don't fight fair, says uh, Cernanos on the ground. And uh, <laughs> suddenly, you know, lightning bolts, you know, emanate from his little wood antlers. Hmm. Uh, those sizzling streaks, says Batman, weakening me. Got to hang on, fight him off till I can maneuver him into a certain position. 
uh, you know, Cernanos hits Batman in the chin with a zwack. Uh, at last, says Batman, seeing his opportunity, a field of goldenrods. If my theory is correct, Cernanos ought to be getting weak right about now. And he is, says Batman, you know, throwing him down to the ground. Ah, he's out cold. The gold in the goldenrods, the ink in the newspaper, all form a definite pattern. I don't see where they're going with this Mm-mm, story. Not yet. Uh, as Batman thinks, the gold and the ink were part of the conjuration which brought the false Felix Faust into existence. Since those things weakened the menaces the Master Mage summoned up, they'll weaken Felix Faust as well. Uh, so those must have been the things in Felix Faust's little box mm-hmm. or whatever. I don't even remember where they were. Uh, but from above, you know, we see uh, Green Lantern, you know, crying out triumphantly. I saw the problem, Batman. A butterfly and a bell were part of the spell which created the fake Felix Faust. So were Golden Ink, calls up Batman. We've discovered the way to reveal the phony Felix Faust. Uh, so gripping their counters to magic, the superheroes race back to the master magician. I'm back already, says Felix Faust, with the evidence to expose my imposter. Or you, Felix Faust, says Batman, who will know who you really are in a moment. And so elsewhere, at this very instant, another confrontation is taking place. As we see, you know, Superman and Flash, with the other Felix Faust. Superman saying, the troll weakened near factory smoke filled with phosphorus, oh my gosh, sesquisulfide, glue, potassium chlorate, and sulfur, elements used on the head of a match. Gardner Fox must have been reading up on some chemistry this week. Uh, And when I knocked out the troll, it was in the presence of soap, also part of the conjuration. As were the oak acorn and the seed from this flower plant, says uh, Flash. Uh, This is your moment of truth, Felix Faust, says uh, Superman, lifting him up. Uh, As soon as we determine who you are, we're going back to headquarters. The narration tells us, looks as everything's about to be cleared up, doesn't it? Well, let's look to Justice League headquarters and see how things can be muddled up. The surprising climax begins on the fourth page following. Uh, so if you remember our very first page, you know, who could be appearing in, in part four that might possibly muddle things up for the Justice League? Oh, it's got to be Snapper Carr. Snapper Carr. <laughs> let's uh, turn our page and, uh, and find out. Oh, turn our four pages and find out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, on our, like, I guess double page spread, you know, we get... Uh, a public service announcement. Ooh, starring Binky. This is one of the... We were talking about teen-like uh, humor or whatever. This is one of DC's uh, teen humor characters. Hasn't, hasn't they actually been revived in the 60s yet? This is like a leftover from the 40s. And then uh, on the other page, you know, we get a Caps Hobby hint. And let's see, direct currents. Anything good? Nothing magic-y. Do you see anything? I see, like... Teen Titans meet Beast Boy. He's, a, he's the, like, Doom Patrol's little, like, you know, junior member. Jerry Lewis. Uh, Jerry Lewis. Oh, gosh. Jerry Lewis meets uh, Batman. He's caught in the group of Batmania. <laughs> <laughs> so who's in Showcase? Oh, my gosh. The Inferior Five we talked about earlier mm-hmm. in this episode yep. is, is currently in Showcase. Um, no, nothing magic-y. What about the Bracelet of Deadly Charms? Where do you see that? Right here. The Human Charm, Bracelet of the... Okay, so that's like a vague type thing or whatever. It's a strange adventure, but I don't think that's a, a character-related thing. It's more just like... Um, well, this is actually one of my favorite uh, Legion stories here. Uh, adventure number 350, uh, Superboy and Supergirl get kicked out of the Legion of Superheroes. Oh. Not only that, but they uh, they give them like a post-hypnotic suggestion to forget they ever were members. Oh. <laughs> so that's, uh, but all that will keep, uh, because we need to continue on with the threat of the true or false sorcerer uh, part four, as uh, you know, we see in Justice League headquarters, there's a uh, you know Batman and Green Lantern with Felix Faust number one, as uh, Superman and you know Flash arrive with uh, uh, Felix Faust number two. Uh, Here he is, the false Felix Faust, says uh, Flash. Yours is the real one. We've proved it beyond a doubt, says Superman. You guys have goofed, says Green Lantern. The one you have is the real Felix Faust. We brought in the phony. We proved it conclu- conclusively, says Batman, with magical objects Faust used in his incantation. 
Wait a gosh darn minute now, says our narration. Who's who? What's what? How can both JLA teams be right? And wrong. It looks like they're both back where they started from. Can they possibly discover the truth before it's too late? Remember, considerable time has passed, and the Earth and the entire universe may blow up at any second. Uh oh. <laughs> so maybe they'll, not only the, you know, our Silver Age wind on this might be the end of DC Comics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, if the Justice Leaguers are confused, the two Felix Fausts are completely bewildered. You sure flopped this assignment, says uh, Felix Faust. I had the utmost confidence in you, and you let me down. Shut up there. Right. <laughs> what a time to fail on a case, says Felix Faust number two, when my life and yours are at stake. <laughs> the Justice League in the background are looking all sheepish, like, uh-oh. Yeah, they look a little embarrassed. <laughs> I was so sure we were right, says Flash. Those incantation items work perfectly. Maybe by using the spell, says Superman, the real Felix Faust also made himself weak to those charms. Guessing won't get us anywhere, says uh, Green Lantern, looking all frustrated. Right, says Batman, we've got to think this out. Well, hurry up. The whole universe is liable to go bang at any moment. Think, think, says Felix Faust number two. Which of us is a real sorcerer? Which is the fake? Shut up, will you, says Batman. Yeah. How can anybody concentrate with you yapping on like that? So a reign of silence till who appears? Snapper Carr with the uh, the Justice League, you know, mailbag. Hey, what's up with these two Felix Fausts? How'd these phony balonies get in here, says uh, Snapper. You implying that both Fausts are fake? You're sure neither one of them's a real thing? asked Batman. Of course. Why, what's the big mystery here? You mean to stand there, says Flash, with your bare face hanging out and tell us that after all we went through, you can come in and glance at those two Felix Fausts and know if they're for real? It was a snap, says Snapper, with a snap. <laughs> all right, Snapper, what do you know that we don't? Talk. Spill it. They say, you know, doing what everybody wants to do, basically grabbing Snapper <laughs> car, you know, around the neck and you know, holding up. Oh, whoa, hold on. A reporter friend of mine is writing an article on prisons, and I went with him today to the federal pen while he was doing some research. I saw Felix House there, and he said to tell you that his magic escape spell failed him. He was trying to keep you fellas trying. Hey, hey, fellas, are, are you listening? We've heard enough, Snapper. Thanks, says uh, Superman and Batman, you know, grabbing both of Felix House. We've got to get these two to the penitentiary fast. So, shortly, outside the actual Felix Faust cell, you mean to tell me I conjured up two copies of myself when I tried to get free? They had the run of the world while I was stuck in jail? Never mind the temper tantrum, Faust, says uh, Batman. <laughs> Let's get rid of them. Uh, so, Faust himself, you know, conjures up a big spell. That's a very dramatic image of Felix Faust. I like it. Yeah, double one and double two. Listen as I send you to the realm from which you came and never more be seen on land. Oh, that didn't rhyme very well, Felix Faust. It's probably not going to work. <laughs> that same spell will automatically also free your fellow members from the magic those spurious sorcerers performed, but I warn you, I'm still going to try and escape. <laughs> okay, thanks for that. <laughs> uh, so outside, you know, we see a Snapper wrapping everything up. Since both those Fausts were phonies, who imprisoned the other JLA members? My guess, Superman says, is they both did. Their evil subconscious minds forced them to do it without their conscious minds being aware of it. I'm glad they managed to leave us for free, says uh, uh, Green Lantern, to work on the problem, even if it took Snapper Carr to solve the case for us. Thanks, the Snapper. And yes. And, uh, and I think, uh, honestly, it might be the end of, uh, you know, our stories that we read with the Snapper Car. Like, I think somewhere around this time, like the transition between, you know, uh, Gardner Fox and Denny O'Neill, they kind of phase Snapper Car out. Mm -hmm. um, so this, you know, as we're saying goodbye to all the elements of the Silver Age, this might be the final time you ever have to suffer through the, uh, the hip quips of our, our young JLA mascot. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so yeah, that was, uh, kind of short and sweet, you know, is, is normally we do JLA, they're two parters or whatever, you know, this is just the one. Um, do you want to go directly into your, your judgment on this story or do you have some you know, discussion you'd like to have prior? No, let's go into the judgment. Yeah. Okay. So what did you think of the, uh, 
the threat of the true or false sorcerer. I think it was a really good choice. It was a, a really nice story to wrap up on. It, it, it incorporated like all the hallmarks that you know that we've been going over for the Silver Age. For the Silver Age, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, like it was written, you know, like by Gardner Fox, who's been like the perennial writer mm-hmm. of of this age. Is that? I mean, it doesn't continue on, right? Well, no, like like you say, you know, once we get to the Bronze Age, this is going to be a rather you know significant you know uh, changeover. I think you know in, in you know the, the names we see as you know the uh, you know artistic creators, you know, both on the writer, you know, and the uh, you know, a penciling side as well. But like I said, when we get into the Bronze Age, we'll go into the background of why that's the case. Um, but to your point, yeah, Gardner Fox, absolutely the perennial Silver Age writer. Hmm, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, on, on this story in particular, he really did his homework and he did all the alliteration. <laughs> and was... pull, pull down the, the, the big book of, you know, global sprites. You know, it was, it was like, <laughs> like, seriously, like, it was really just like, you know, so some things that like, you know, like leprechauns, obviously, and, you know, like genies and stuff like that. But and like, a parry? Yeah, but that's like really deep cuts, right? Like a parry yeah. <laughs> and, a, and a, a kobold, you know? So, yeah, you know, it was uh, just going through that. It was just like, um, almost like a tribute. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, for this one, I expected the story to flow a little bit differently because like usually when you get like the, the JLA together, what happens is that like there's a problem presented to the team. The team divides up into smaller teams. They solve their individual like mini team problems, come back, all looks like it's like all is lost. And then everything comes together. Yeah, it was kind of that, but just the like, far smaller teams. Like they, they were only starting with like you know a group of four, so they kind of split into like two two man teams. Not that's not actually how it broke down though, no? because even though uh, Superman and Flash, for example, left together, yeah. they still had their own individual they battles. Had individual battles within that, yeah. Right. So, and you know, and, and then of course they went back to their regular thing, you know, and all seemed lost until of course Napa Carr came back and <laughs> saved the whole saved world. The day. <laughs> Exactly. No, not just the day. Really? Wow. Snap a car, save the world. Yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> so smart. <laughs> um, Artwork-wise, yeah. uh, Mike Sikowski is very dramatic. Uh, I, the artwork is uh, just really good. Several panels were like standout panels. And when you get around to like posting the images on Facebook. When I finally suspect. get around to it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, a, a lot of the images that really stood out to me, uh, one of them you pointed out, like near the end, had the, they, the, the, the red Felix background. The one with the, the fingers or whatever, that was like super, super good. Yeah, like, yeah, that, I, mean, that, that's I think that's the best shot. one. Yeah. Like, but um, there's a few times throughout where there's a red background and there's like um, shadowing, not shadowing. What do you what do you call it? Like hatching, you're saying? Yeah, the hatching, but like all like to draw your eye into the center. Like mm-hmm. it, it really works. Um, but yeah, and like good action in there. Um, the only negative I have is that like he draws Batman fat. He's, he doesn't do it to anybody else, well, but he, he's, he as draws we said, Batman. In, like our very first episode, that was one of the very first things we pointed out. Like you know, going all the way back to Magic Land or whatever is yeah, the barrel chestedness you know of his dudes at times, and like and sometimes that goes up and down depending on the inker. Like I say, I think it was really the worst under Bernard Sachs, but yeah, I think. Even beyond the anchor, yeah, Mike Sikowski has a thing for, like, barrel-chested Batman. It's, it's very, very strange. It's yeah, He doesn't do it on Green Lantern or anybody else. It's <laughs> yeah. just Batman. Strange. Um, yeah, and you. I mean, your voices. <laughs> like, of all, like, obviously, the a very fun thing I enjoy, you know, about this podcast, you know, is doing the voices. Like, when we first started, I had no idea I was going to do it. But the Felix Faust voice is just the easiest thing. To do. It's just, like, all you got to do is pretend you're an evil guy. Like, ha, 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 I'm evil, you know? <laughs> And it's just, it so fits Felix Fast because that's exactly what he's like. He's just like, you know, I, I'm going to, he literally tells them, I'm going to defeat you. You may have put me away today, but I will come back and beat you. Like, it's just <laughs> so, like, stereotypical villain. That's the only voice I can think that fit him. 
But it, you were awesome yeah, at that. Yeah, okay, thanks. Um, yeah, all told, I like the story. It just it was just so very fitting. Yeah. So good choice. And and the little birdie lives. Yeah, bird lives. Awesome. Okay, so uh, like I say, you know, this is the third episode of our, our Silver Age, you know, wind down. Um, you know, we've paid tribute to all of the the writers that we've you know uh, covered in our show. We've paid tribute to you know to most of the artists that that we've you know covered in our show. Um, next episode, I think what I want to do, we don't have you know any real story. Like that was basically it, you know, as far as the the Silver Age stories. I was like, you know, from this point onward, we're going to be moving into the Bronze Age. But I thought before we did that, we should have one episode which was basically you know a recap in totality. Like if you and I take of a all look, the Silver Age, yeah, basically if we took a look at the, the themes and the characters and just kind of got your your overall opinions. Um, but then all also, something I want to do is, you know, as far as like these these tributes or whatever, I definitely want to look at Julia Schwartz. So next episode, I think we'll do the bio on Julia Schwartz, and that will be the perfect capstone, you know, to our Silver Age coverage. Uh, what do you feel? Yeah, that sounds awesome. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, do you have anything else for uh, tonight? No, I'm good. Okay. Uh, with that in mind, then, let me just go ahead and do a little, you know, solid block of our, uh, our contact info. Um, our website is uh, tporpodcast.com, uh, and then you can you know provide any feedback you know at the corresponding uh, email address, which is tporpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, as Melanie said, you know uh, our Facebook site, you know where we host all our images, is uh, facebook.com backslash tporpodcast, and you know <laughs> we are running behind on that, but don't, don't worry, you know eventually everything will be you know in its right place. Uh, <laughs> on Twitter, uh, you can follow us, you know at TPOR podcast and uh, and then subscribe to us you know any of a number of places uh, you know iTunes Stitcher uh, Podcastpedia what's the other one um, Google Play and uh, and with iTunes specifically you know we got our very first iTunes review uh, mm. as I mentioned last time around the, the darkness to light gives a nice review I return the favor and so if anyone would Thank like you. to uh, you know also give us a review feel free to do that you know on, on iTunes um with that in mind, uh, I can think of nothing else. Um, so, as always, you know, we want to thank you uh, for joining us here tonight. We hope you had a good time, and we hope to see you here next time on the Parliament of Rooks podcast. Thanks, everybody. Mm-hmm.